I want to welcome you here on this Sunday. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and grab them. You can turn to Psalm chapter 138. If you're joining us online today, get a copy of God's Word. Follow along with us in Psalm 138. But if you didn't know as you're turning there, today is the final Sunday in our 2019-2020 ministry year. A lot of you wish I was saying that today was the final Sunday of 2020. Unfortunately, I don't have that news for you. We can hold on tight together and uh, trust the Lord and finish strong. Uh, but today is the last day of our 2019-2020 ministry year. A year ago, we said that this year was going to be called Take a Step, that we wanted to be disciples of Jesus Christ who weren't stagnant in our faith and who certainly weren't drifting backwards, but we were taking steps toward more Christ-likeness in our lives. And uh, it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? There's been sickness. There's been a number of mandates. There's been some contradictions. There's been racial injustice. There's been racial tension. There's been riots. It's time to elect our next president. All that's going on in the midst of your normal day-to-day -day hardships and troubles. And yet I believe that the Lord, take a step is a very appropriate theme for this past year. Uh, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, then we best be ready to take some steps in the midst of the hardest of days. I believe as Gospel City Church this year, we've taken some steps. And uh, early on when we did our first series called Take a Steps, you heard this statement all the time. It's on the screens. Disciple making churches create discipleship pathways that encourage disciples to take a step. And all year long, we've prayed about this and we've uh, written some things and we've thought about things and we've did some training and we're really excited about this next year. But if, if we're gonna be called a disciple-making church, then as Gospel City Church, we were like, man, we, we really need to make sure that we know what we're doing when we're trying to make disciples. Now, there's no perfect tool aside from the Word of God and the fruit of the Spirit, but at Gospel City Church, uh, as a disciple at Gospel City Church, we like to say it this way. A disciple at Gospel City glorifies God by loving God and loving others. A disciple at Gospel City Church uh, gathers with God's people every Sunday and in smaller groups. A disciple at Gospel City Church grows in Christ-likeness through repentant faith and through spiritual discipline and a disciple at Gospel City Church goes with the good news of the gospel. Are you glorifying? Are you gathering? Are you growing? Are you going? You know, a lot of people in 2020 don't see the need to gather anymore. If you're here today, you're committed to gathering. If you're joining us online, I'm sure you're purposefully gathering with us. But there's a lot of people out there today who once COVID hit and once churches kind of like took a break, people say, you know, my life feels kind of good without this commitment to Sunday morning gathering and I, I can live without it. And yet it's a very specific discipline, conviction for us as Gospel City Church that we would not forsake the gathering of God's people that he's asked us to. Help us with that. How are you doing with gathering? Are you telling people, inviting people to this place? Is your life glorifying God with all that you say and do? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? And are you going with this message? Certainly you've heard a lot about that. So we've been taking continual steps in our faith as disciples of Jesus. Today's no different. Today I wanna challenge you to take a step as a gospel-standing, Christ-centered, thankful disciple. Uh, the, the passage for today is Psalm 138, but the title of today's message is simply this, take a step as a thankful disciple. God desires that we live in thankfulness and we have 
reason to, no matter what, and yet how often have you woken up in 2020 and not been super thankful? If I'm being honest, there's days where I haven't been super thankful. And yet God, David, as we'll see in Psalm 138 today, he has a life of thankfulness even in the midst of the hard things that he's going through because of what God has said and what God has promised and what God will do. And that's where we have to continually anchor our eyes and our minds upon the truth that God has given to us. For a lot of years, uh, when, we would go, when we go home to Pittsburgh, uh, my, my dad, we would go to my dad's house, my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and he would undoubtedly say, uh, it's not Thanksgiving, it's thanks living. And uh, my dad has all sorts of cheesy Christian sayings. My sister bought him a, a, a sign that says, happy thanks living. But I think he's on to something. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're not living unless it's thanks living. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're not living unless your life is exuding thankfulness and praise to a God who is worthy of it. So listen, if what we believe is dictated by what we feel, then 2020 can have the victory. If what we believe is dictated by what we feel, man, 2020 is gonna have the victory all day long. But because what we believe is rooted in the word of God, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we can take a step even today in the attitude that we'll see portrayed in Psalm 138. And so we're gonna let God's word speak this morning. I want you to get your eyes on a copy of Psalm 138. If you're joining us online, let's read along together. But Let me read it over us. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And the first point that we want to grab uh, from this text today is this. Because God hears when I call, I will give thanks to the Lord. Because God hears when I call, I will give thanks to the Lord couple things to note as we dive into Psalm 138. You know, we often read scripture in paragraphs and in chapters, and yet the entire narrative of scripture is meant to be read as a whole. And when God divinely inspired the word of God and these Psalms were being written down by David and other scribes, you know, they were put together for a reason. Psalm 138 is most fascinating when studied right alongside Psalm 137. We're not gonna dig into it completely, but you wanna read about a bad day? 
Psalm 137 is a bad day. The Israelite people here are taken captive in a foreign land. It says that they've hung up their instruments as if to say they've hung up their praise to Almighty God because they were so discouraged. And then they're under the rule of the the corrupt leaders of this foreign land and the corrupt leaders are mocking them. Where is your God now? Their situation seems utterly hopeless. And then in comes David with Psalm 138 and it's all praise. It's all thanks. It's all worship to God for what he deserves in the midst of his trouble. So Psalm 137 presents the problems and the desires for solutions of the Israelite people. It's our, it's their, it's our 2020. Theirs was far worse than our 2020. And yet, don't you wish you had some solutions these days, right? And yet Psalm 138 presents the theological grid that disciples of Jesus should view every circumstance through because of God's character and the coming solutions that he has promised God has promised to do some things in the future and David is choosing in the midst of his own trouble to hold on what the Lord, to what the Lord has promised because he is faithful. So we're gonna dig into verse one. It says this, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praises. So David is seen here giving something to the Lord. When you give something to the Lord, you bring an offering to the Lord. When you bring an offering to the Lord, you're sacrificing something. You're surrendering something. In this case, I'm guessing David was surrendering his feelings, surrendering his negativity, surrendering the way that maybe he was feeling in regards to the circumstances he was facing, and yet he was willing to set aside those feelings so that he could give to God what was rightfully his. David brings an offering to the Lord, and it says that he gives thanks David starts Psalm 138 by expressing his deep gratitude to the Lord, his allegiance to the Lord for all that he has done. And it says, David gives thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. David holds nothing back with his sacrifice of praise. He wants his whole heart to be caught up in the adoration of his God. I gotta ask you, do you, give thanks to God with your whole heart in these days? If I'm being honest, there's some days I wake up where I'm not sure half of my heart is thankful. There's some days where I've come to work or, or, or gotten up with my family and I'm like, man, half of my heart just feels negative. It feels grumpy. It feels anxious. And David here says, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Was he some kind of super Christian? No, that's, what, that's what's helpful to know about the Psalms is see, the Psalms purpose was to celebrate the name of Yahweh. Psalms essentially are the Hebrew songbook divinely inspired through the Holy Spirit to give us a framework of living a life of thanks to God for his word and his son. And for the Israelites, it was the coming Messiah that they hoped for and longed for. Psalm 138 served as a reminder to the Hebrew people and to David, and it serves to a reminder as us today of where our hearts should be in Jesus Christ. You know, we sing things like this all the time, things that maybe aren't necessarily true in our lives, and yet they're where our hearts should be if we anchor them to Jesus. Even this morning, I was thinking as we sang, uh, all your promises are yes and amen. That's so true, but I don't always live like that's true. Or that song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It says, 
I know that my future is secure. Well, Lord, I just sang that in church, but why so many days a week am I, am I tossing to and fro and wondering what's gonna happen in my future? See, the song is preaching to our soul. That's kind of what God gave us the Psalms for, so that it might preach to our soul and align our hearts back to the place that it should be in Christ Jesus. Songs help preach to our souls. That new song that we've been singing, All Praise. Uh, you know, don't let my heart grow weary. Why, why be so downcast, oh my soul? You are in every moment. You're the greatest miracle. It starts out with uh, every breath, it is a gift. Every moment is a treasure. Well, man, I wasn't living like every breath is a gift when I was driving on to the campus today and my kids were chattering in the back or I was getting up with my wife this week. It helps draw us back to the center where our eyes are off of the things in front of us and on a savior who is Christ the Lord. David goes on in verse one, before the gods, I sing your praise. Along with David's offering of thanks, it's accompanied by bold adoration. Why do I say bold? Because David was unashamed to proclaim it over the gods, over the rulers of this world. If you look back in Psalm 137, verse three, it says, for there are captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And so here's the Israelite people captive and the, the rulers of this foreign land are mocking them and they've hung up their praise. And David in Psalm 138 is like, you know what? I don't care. I'll sing the praise of my God over the gods of this world, over the gods of other lands because I am unashamed of the gospel and I'm unashamed that Christ is exalted over all. The praise and adoration of God's people should be louder than anything this world could ever offer. The gods of David's day were, could have been angels, could have been human rulers, could have been false deities. What are the gods of our days? You know, we definitely have false gods, false deities, but think about the things that easily get elevated in our lives. Brands, sports teams, sports organizations, money, positions of power, if I was to look at your life, if I was to sit down with you, what would be the loudest song coming out of your life, coming out of your mouth? If I was to jump on some of y'all's social media, I could tell you what your loudest song might be because we're singing it all day long these days. We're proclaiming it all day long these days, but are we proclaiming that Christ is exalted over all? Verse two, keep going says, I bow down toward your holy temple and I give thanks to your name. David is giving thanks with his whole heart. He's singing the praises of God over the gods of this world. And now he's seen bowing down. This is the posture of a thankful disciple. Should we bow physically? Yeah, absolutely. When was the last time you bowed down before the Lord, got your eyes off of the things of this world and focused on the majesty and trusted in the sovereignty of our God? But aside from physically bowing, is your heart bowed in reverence to the King of Kings? Interesting to note, David bows down toward God's holy temple. The temple hasn't even been built yet. David's son, Solomon, was gonna come and build the temple. And so essentially, 
David is saying, because what you have promised will happen in the future, I will consider it done and worship you in the present for it. He gives thanks to his name for the steadfast love of God. Do you understand? Like David, this temple hasn't even been. And yet David's like, I know you're true to your promises. I know all your promises are yes and amen. I know that what you have said will come to pass in the future. And I hope in that alone. And so I will bow down as if it's already been done. I mean, what has God promised us here in 2020 that he will do? He's promised to come again. He's promised to forgive our sins. He's promised that he's preparing a place for us. He's promised that he will defend us, that we have only to be silent. And yet so often, man, we get caught up in the angst and the despair of the season and the trouble around us that we forget to simply put our trust in the Lord says that he gives thanks to his name for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. We've sung about it today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? What he has done in David's life, he will do in your life. We're getting to that. But look what it says at the end of verse two. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Above all things, God has exalted his name and his word, his reputation and his promises. The name of the Lord is trustworthy today. It's honorable, it's upstanding, it's outstanding, it's strong, it's prestigious, it's powerful, it's worthy. He is who he says he is and he has exalted his reputation above the reputation of kings and leaders and presidents. Not only has he exalted his name above all things, but he's exalted his word as well. His promise to save, his promise to deliver, his promise to conquer, to defend, to help, to forgive, to come. Are you familiar with his name and his word today? And if you are, why be anxious? Why be so downcast? Why be angry and grumpy and frustrated in the midst of 2020. God's already told us that he's exalted his name and his word above all these things. And because we can trust his reputation, because we can trust his word, we can fight from a place of victory, knowing that the battle has already been won in Christ Jesus. But I want you to go to verse three for a minute. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Now this is what makes David's thanks and praise so powerful in Psalm 138. See, if God didn't do one thing for you in your life, he'd still be worthy of all thanksgiving. He'd still be worthy of praise because he's exalted his name and his word above everything. So he's just worthy. That speaks of his, his exaltation, speaks of the transcendence of God. Because God is high and holy, he's transcendent in nature. He's sovereign. He's worthy of praise. He sits in the heavens and he does as he pleases. But that's not all God is. That's not all God wants to be for you and I. Not only is God transcendent in nature, he's also imminent. 
He's not only sovereign, but he's personal. He's not only holy, but he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. God's not just high and holy and off in the distance. He wants to be your friend today. He wants to care for you today. And David says, on the day that I called, my mind automatically goes to salvation. On the day I called to the Lord, the Lord opened up my heart to receive his grace and he put me on a track to follow him. And if that's all he's ever done, praise the Lord because he saved me and given me a name in Christ Jesus. But David, he's speaking of a very specific day. He knows that his life is hidden in Christ Jesus. And yet on the day that he called to the Lord, what day? See, scholars bring it back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. There's a time in David's life in 1 Samuel 30 where his family is taken captive and the army that he's leading, his friends, start to plot against David and they're gonna stone him and they're gonna kill him. So David loses his family, David loses his friends and his own friends plot to kill him. David's having a bad day. David's in a bad situation. David's having some heartache. And yet 1 Samuel 30 verse six says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He didn't beg for God to remove the trial. He didn't beg for God to say, God, get me out of this situation. Get this weight off of my shoulders. I'm sure he prayed some of those things, but what's most important, what's written down for you and I today is that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And in Psalm 138.3, David describes a day where he called out to God and God was quick to strengthen his soul. David recognized his need for God and his need for help. And he called out to the Lord in his day of trouble. And the Lord gave him fresh strength to be able to handle the battle that he was facing. And guess what? God wants to do the same thing for you. This isn't theology for yesterday. This isn't theology to say, oh, God answered my prayer whenever I called on him for salvation. This is theology for today. Whatever you're facing in the midst of this season, in the midst of this year, cry out to the Lord your God because he wants to hear from on high and he wants to increase your strength as you call upon him. God can do for you what he did for David in his day of trouble, are you willing to lift your eyes to the hills from where our help comes from? Let's not forget to turn our eyes upon him and not the things that are around us, the battle that surrounds us. That's, not, that's the first thing that we wanna get from Psalm 138. The second thing is this, because God is close to the humble, I will give thanks to the Lord. Because God is close to the humble, I will give thanks to the Lord. Verse four says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. Now David's continuing to believe in the elevated word and the elevated name of his God. Not only is he going to give thanks with his whole heart, not only is he going to sing the praises of God over the gods of this world and bow down and worship with his life, but he has confidence in the fact that one day, every king, every leader, every rebellious and corrupt king 
on the planet would sing the praises of God and give thanks to God because they will know of his glory and his might and his sovereignty. Listen, God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He gives them to whomever he pleases and he has the power to take it away. And he's given us this promise that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This still rings true today. Be careful where you put your allegiance. Be careful not to sing the praises of men louder than the praises of our God. Every leader and the same rings true for us will know the glory of God just as David proclaims it. Every leader, same's true for us, will know the glory of God and you can either take heed to his words now and follow him or be made to know his glory when it's too late. But know his glory, all of us will. I want you to hone in on verse six, so important. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For though the Lord is high. I mean, if David's able to say that God is high, he must be as high as it gets. He's exalted his name, his word, his reputation above all things. Uh, I heard an analogy one time of Mount Everest. I wouldn't stand next to somebody at the base of Mount Everest and compare my height with that person. I'm probably not taller than them anyways, uh, but we wouldn't look up at Mount Everest and I'd be like, bro, I'm taller than you. <laughs> no, we just stand and stare at the bigness and the vastness of this mountain that's in front of us. Well, the same is even greater when it comes to the holiness of God. None of us will stand before the holiness of God and compare ourselves to one another. Man, I've done more great things for God than you. Man, my salvation's better. Man, I've lived a better life than you in, in the kingdom. No, all of us will tremble before the majesty of God and we will stare locked eyes on Jesus, knowing that he alone is sovereign, that his name and his word are exalted over all. And yet God says, though he is high, he regards the lowly. Though he is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God in his sovereign rule regards the lowly, the humble, the broken, the bowed down, the surrendered. Isn't that so contrary to who we are as human beings? Like just our entire makeup as human beings is like, we got to power up, pull up our bootstraps and get it done ourselves, rise to the, the seat of power, have some authority in our lives. And yet God says, I'm close to the lowly. I'm close to the surrendered. I'm close to the bowed down. This language is all through scripture. Let me give you some. James four, verse six says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Psalm 145.14, the Lord raises up all who are bowed down. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? The psalmist writes, God, in your high and holiness, what is man that you would think about me? And not just think about me, not just be mindful of me, but you crown me with steadfast love and faithfulness. That's our God. That's how good he is. 
that he would be draw close to the humble. It's this idea that I don't deserve to stand in the presence of God, and yet God desires to be in my presence. Wow. He knows the haughty from afar. I heard Pastor Brent tell the worship team this week from the New Living Translation that it says he keeps his distance from the proud. Isn't that horrifying that God would keep his distance from me? Like he knows me, but he can keep his distance from me. That's not the kind of relationship that I want to have with God. The Lord knows us whether we want him to or not. And he can either know us from afar because we reject to trust him, follow him and ask for his help. Or he can know us intimately and intricately as a friend because we've come to grips with our need for him. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is to daily receive the blessings that come from his great and personal care, but to remain haughty and proud and in your own strength is for God to keep a distance until it's too late. And on that day, you will be humbled. You will know of his glory, but you'll be unable to partake in the joy of it. Man, God has invited you to simply take yourself off the throne of your life. It's so easy though. It's an everyday battle. This isn't just a theology for past. It's a theology for present and future that we have to die to ourselves every day. Little Micah is trying to fight for the throne of my heart so that I would be the king of my life, so that I would make my own decisions, so that I could power out up and let everybody know about my decisions when it comes to the affairs that are going on in this world right now. And yet God says, wait, you have only to be silent. I promise to fight for you. I promise I'm preparing a place for you. I promise that I hold this whole world in the palm of my hand Simply trust me, bow down to me, call upon me, and I will be near to the humble. Incredible. Every king will bow. Every president will bow. Every knee will bow. Have you bowed as a thankful, God-glorifying disciple? You can do it right where you're at even now. You can do it at the end of the service. Come and talk to me. I would love to. Elders, pastors will be at the front. So because he hears when I call, I give thanks to the Lord. Because he's close to the humble, I give thanks to the Lord. Man, that's a lot of good news. Yet it keeps getting better in Psalm 138. Point number three is this. Because God is committed to my purpose, I will give thanks to the Lord. Because God is committed to my purpose, I will give thanks to the Lord. Pick it up in verse seven. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. David says he's walking in the midst of trouble. We heard about his trouble from 1 Samuel 30, where he lost his family, lost his friends. They're plotting to kill him, but he calls upon the Lord. He's strengthening himself in the Lord. But as he walks in the midst of this trouble, this is where the majority of our lives as Christians, as human beings, this side of heaven will spend our lives. Acknowledging that there is trouble around us. It's not all prosperity. It's not all rainbows and sunshine when you follow Jesus. 
It's hard. David could not escape what he called the valley of the shadow of death. At times in our lives, will the troubles of this world be more apparent? Yeah, absolutely. It's called 2020. But though David was walking in the midst of trouble, it says that God preserves his life. God's exalted his name and his word above it all. God's close to those who are humble enough to ask for help. He gives fresh strength for the fight. But not only that, he's committed to preserving your life in the midst of the trouble that is promised to come in this life. God is in enough control to keep your life. Psalm 121, he'll keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If 2020 is challenging anything in our lives, I think it's challenging our control. It reveals how little control we have and how quickly we will try to grasp for it. But God is in control, isn't he? He promises to preserve my life in the midst of trouble. And if I trust him at his word and if I trust him in his reputation and if I trust his promises, then I can live every day like I'm surrounded by the Savior who is my defender. But you see how you got to remind yourself of that. It's hard in the battle. How could it get any better? It does. Not only that, the rest of verse seven, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. God will defend you against your enemies. Man, people are loud these days about who they think their enemy is. The left is my enemy. The right is my enemy. The system is my enemy. There's a lot of earthly enemies. And yet that's not even the greatest enemy after you. This is so much more of a spiritual battle than it is a physical battle. The prince of the power of the air is prowling around like a roaring lion and he's seeking to kill you. He's seeking to get your mind and your eyes off of the elevated word and name of God and onto the problems of this world, onto the things that you can't control, onto the opinions of man. And it's all meant to be a distraction from us walking in step with the creator, God, who has called us to follow him and to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Romans 8, 18 says, but when I consider the sufferings of this world, they're not worth comparing to the glory that we will, that will be revealed to us. Isn't it so true that we, get, we can get so caught up in the sufferings of this world and the hardships of this world and the troubles of this world and we forget, man, those things pale in comparison to what our God has promised us when he will come again. Verse eight, keeps getting better. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Not only will he preserve my life, not only will he protect me from my enemies, but he is committed to my purpose. What was David's purpose? Coming down through the Davidic line would come a Messiah, a better David, a stronger David, a perfect David. David's resolve to thank the Lord in the midst of his troubles and his shortcomings and even his failures 
was because he believed in the exalted name and the word of God, a Messiah would come and all would know that steadfast love of the Lord endures forever and Jesus came. This Messiah came. David stayed firm in the truth of what his God promised. He considered it done and God in his grace and in his faithfulness sent forth Jesus Christ who had failures in this life that he faced and yet he never sinned. He walked this earth, he was tempted, he was tried, he was without sin. And even in his day of trouble, when he cried out to God, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? He was more concerned with his father's glory and with your good. And so he crawled onto that cross willingly so that we might have life and so that we might have hope. Just as God fulfilled his purpose in sending Jesus through the line of David, he's committed to your purpose here today. So many young people, man, what's my purpose in life? I wanna follow God, but I just don't know what my purpose is. Does he have a purpose for me? What's my greater purpose? I'll tell you what God's purpose is for you, that you would be conformed into the likeness of his son. That you would believe in the sun, that you would become like the sun, that you would love the sun with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And guess what? He's committed to that purpose in your life. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And why? Why would he do all these things? Because what David says, second part of verse eight, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Look, I know so many of you are walking through trouble. We had a a staff call the other day with someone from the Great Commission Collective and despair and anxiety are at an all-time high in church counseling in 2020. Despair and anxiety. And as those sweep away the foundations of our faith, that's when anger, anger starts to manifest itself. Depression starts to manifest itself. It's hard, every day is a battle. And yet we have this truth that we can call upon the Lord and he'll heal us. We can humble ourselves and stop powering up. We can bow down and draw strength from a strong God in our place of weakness. And we have this truth that he's committed to our purpose, to making us more like Jesus because he loves you. He loves you enough to give his life for you, to die on a cross so that you might come to him open-handed, offering nothing and yet receiving everything. David, at the end of verse eight, he says, do not forsake the work of your hands. David was so confident in God working for his good, for his greater purpose that he says, Lord, Don't forsake what you're doing, even if it's hard. Jesus did that. Lord, don't forsake what you're doing. I'll go to the cross on their behalf. If David could hope in the Lord, if David could give thanks with his whole heart before Jesus ever even came, then we have no excuse. The battle's been won. The battle for your soul has been won. Death has been defeated. And because of his great love, God invites us to call upon him, to humble ourselves, to come and to receive his greater purpose. 